Hey guys, sorry, Delamont here. This is a recent Facebook Live that we've uploaded as a podcast. Enjoy. When you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to our monthly live here in the From Hostage to Hero Facebook group. If you are new to us, my name is Sari Delamont, and it is sending me things. Okay, I don't want to do that. <laughs> my name is Sari Delamont, and I am the attorney whisperer. I work with attorneys all over the United States, and I'm so excited to be with you today as part of this free group, the From Hostage to Hero Facebook group. You get a monthly live teaching with me, and you can also get in this group, or if you're probably already in this group if you're listening to this, and discuss the podcast, ask for help on something that you read in the book that you don't understand. I mean, where, where else do you have access to the author of the book that you're currently reading? That's what this is all about. So welcome to the Facebook group. If you are brand new to us, we are glad you're here. Today, we are talking about the difference between teaching and storytelling and i'm going to be doing some teaching and when i do so i'll head over here to my my teaching area um let me know if you are here where you are from and uh, give me a hello so let me know where you are listening from today and um christy let me know if i am okay i've got my airpods in I hope you can hear me okay and everything is transferring correctly. Um, but again, welcome. So before we get started, I want to let all of you know who do not know, if you're in this group, you are probably knowing this already, <laughs> but I am in a quest to get 100 reviews before my birthday. My birthday is a week from Saturday. And so the reviews have been pouring in over at Trial Guides. Thank you so much. If you have read the book, please head over to trialguides.com and give me a review. We're at 62 reviews. So we only need 38 more to get us to 100 by next Saturday. I know we can do it. And I will be the first person ever at Trail Guides to have a hundred reviews. Right now I'm the second highest reviewed book. And hey, Joel. And um, if you listen to the podcast, if you would please go over and give us a review there, just even just click on the, on the star uh, rating. Would love that. We're at 67 reviews over there. We need to get 33 to get to hundred. So I appreciate that in advance. I'm just gonna start by reading a uh, review here by John C says an instant classic what a gem my copy is already beat up and dog-eared from repeated use litigation is all about communicating effectively with our audience the jury and sorry delamont's indispensable book not only reminds us of this but gives us insightful useful and practical tips to improve this essential part of our trial practice this book is essential reading and rereading for all of us well thank you john for that lovely review i certainly appreciate it and if you want your review read, uh, read either on air here in facebook this is going to be translated into a, a podcast go ahead and give us a review i really really enjoy that you've asked what can i do sorry while you're in cancer treatment that it makes me feel so good when i read those reviews so thanks in advance all right, well, we are talking about the difference between storytelling and teaching. And I love this concept because if I 
cannot tell, and more importantly, if the jury cannot tell the difference between your storytelling and your teaching, we have a problem. And so today I'm gonna to talk about two different things, both the content, how it's different, and the delivery, how it's different when we're talking about storytelling versus teaching. So let me go over to the board now and we'll do a little bit of teaching as we are um, talking about this very thing. So when we're talking about the difference between storytelling and teaching, what I want you to keep in mind uh, is what we're first attempting to do in terms of content. And again, if you're just joining us, let me know where you're listening from. I would love to say hi to you in the comments. Um, so here's the gist. Here's the basic gist. In my template, which of course is an amalgam from Rick Friedman and Damages 3 and a variety of different other templates, so I'm giving credit where credit is due, but we start out the template. It's a nine-piece template. Today I'm going to talk about the four, first four pieces. So the first piece of the template is the, the hook. Now the hook can be an opening rule. That's normally what it is. It can be a statistic. It can be what we call an impactful statement. So it really depends, and I'm not going to get into big detail today about how to choose your hook, but the hook is basically what it sounds like. It's how do I get the jury invested and involved quickly? So in the dram shop case that many of you heard me talk a lot about, the hook in that case was um, bars can prevent drunk driving and the good ones do. In other cases, it's been things like uh, and that's an impactful statement. In other cases, it's been a, um, I need to change my microphone, volume. Okay, so let me see if I can pull, put my volume back up. Do, do, do. That's not what I wanted to do. Okay, here we go. Is that better? Let's see, we've stopped. The view. Christy, can you see what I'm seeing? Let me come back to this. I just can't see it on mine, but can you see it? If you can, I'm going to go back and let me know how the volume is. We've got a new setup here in our new house and so technical difficulties. So Christy, can you see? Am I still visible? I'm not visible on my screen, so I want to make sure that I'm visible on your screen. Yes? No? I hope so. All right, well, I'm gonna keep going because I have not heard um, otherwise. Still waiting in the comments. Oh wait, here it is. Sounds good, okay. All right, so we've got the hook. The second piece that we have is the educate the jury section. So this is our teaching section. I don't like these pens, educate the jury section. This is where we talk to the jury about what should have happened. That's what I want, if you're taking notes, this is what should have happened, okay? So whatever happened in your case, there was a right way to do it. And I always lose my spelling when I make. So this is where we tell the jury the correct way to do heart surgery or the correct way to unload a trailer tractor or the correct way to observe the rules of the road in, um, in a car crash case. So we talk very generally here. We don't, talk, we don't talk about the defendant and what they did or didn't do. All we're saying is heart surgeons must complete three tasks before they cut into the aorta or whatever it may be, right? 
heart surgeons, hospitals, car drivers. You want this to be really neutral, this teaching section, so that we don't get in trouble. And we also want to make sure that we spread those tentacles of danger so that when we say this, it's all heart surgeons, all car drivers, right? Use the plural when you are educating the jury. And I really like to have three things in there. It's not always possible to have three things, but three rules, you know, they must do this, this, and this. Just the rule of threes are easy for jurors to remember. All right, now, once you have the educate the jury section, the next section that comes is defendant's story. Now, it's not always told from the defendant's point of view, but in most cases it is. And this is the part where you're talking about what did happen. I'm just gonna check in on, make sure that slightly off by a second or two. Okay, all right. Well, I'll try to keep talking louder. So the defendant's story, this is what did happen. And this is where we, we are telling the story. Now, what I want to be really clear about here is that this, the teaching that you do, regardless of where you are, in the opening or in the closing, whatever teaching you're doing in trial, and by the way, if you've been following me for a while, you know that there are three things that we do at trial and only three things. We're either teaching, we're either storytelling, or we're dealing with resistance. That's it from beginning to end. Those are the three types of content that we are uh, dealing with. So again, teaching, storytelling, dealing with resistance. So teaching is always, 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 I want you to get this, context for the story. So often, I'll see attorneys not use this second piece. So they'll have the hook, and then they'll go into the defendant's story, you know, how the defendant, the wrongdoing happened. And they assume that the jury knows how to properly judge wrong conduct. They don't. In most cases, they do not, because we have not given them context for the right way to do it. When we say, this is the right way to do this, and then we say, let me tell you the story of what happened in this case. And then we tell the story of what actually did happen. Now the jurors can be like, oh, you said it was supposed to be this, but it's actually that. Now they can properly judge conduct. I always say, you cannot, jurors cannot properly judge conduct without context. So teaching is what gives context to the story that's about to come. Now, the fourth piece in the opening template is why we're here. Now, what's awesome about this is if you have done this correctly, jurors can stand up and say, I know why you're here. <laughs> because you've given them the, con the context, then you've told them about the defendant's conduct, and now they can say, I know why we're here. So all you're doing at that point is, is um, confirming their sanity. Now, let me just check in and make sure that everyone can still hear me. Okay, great, good. Okay, so let's talk about the types of stories that you tell over trial before we talk about the difference in terms of um, delivery, nonverbal delivery. All right, I'm getting a little... Uh, okay, so... We have in the opening two stories. We have the defendant's story, 
I don't know if I'm spelling that right, but there it is. I always lose my spelling. Okay? Then we have the plaintiff's story a little later down. And then in the closing, we have the juror's story. So what do I mean by that? Well, after we teach, we talk about the defendant's story. This is the story of the past. That's what got us here, right? So we are, we are talking about this negligent act that brings us to trial today. Later in the opening, now, even though it's in the past, this isn't a storytelling seminar necessarily, but even though it's in the past, we want to tell that story in the present tense. But it is the story from the past. That's all that I mean there. Now, later in the opening, we, talk, we have another uh, piece that's called the cause and effect section. It comes before the plaintiff's story. Again, cause and effect is here's how the crash, your causation section, caused the injury. It gives context, again, for the next story that is coming. So the next story that's coming is the plaintiff's story. How is the plaintiff today? What are they like today? What is their life like today? So this is the story of the present. Okay? Now, when we get to closing, we're going to tell two stories. This isn't always the case. For example, in wrongful death, we may not do this. But two stories, one story of a jury that helps and one story of a jury that does not help. And you guessed it, we're going to tell those stories in the future. Because we want to clearly communicate to the jury that if you help, this is how this goes. But if you choose not to help fix or make up for, to use David Ball's words, this is what happens. We want to clearly communicate that to them. And of course, in closing, we also give some context before we tell the story. There's always some teaching before a story, teaching then a story, teaching then a story. All right? So let's review so far. We have in the opening, the teaching or the educate the jury section, and then the story of the defendant. But overall, we have three main stories. There may even be more. But three main stories that we tell throughout trial, a past, a present, and a future story, which is just so lovely for me to think about how that works out <laughs> when I figured that out. I just loved that. Okay, so checking in again. Hello, Cameron. Oh, you're from Antifa Central. Yes, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> uh, Grant, good to see you. Patrick, good to see you. All right, so let's now talk about the difference in delivering. So here's where I really want to have you get the difference here. Because I should be able, if I was your coach, and I am many of your coach, many of you are coaches, if you're an H2H crew, I'm your coach, right? So as your coach, if I turned off the sound as I watched your opening, I should be able to tell the difference between your teaching and your storytelling. Let's talk about why that is. So we're just now rolling out what we're calling the nonverbal basics. Okay? Most skills that I teach come from one of these four branches. So if you want to start your nonverbal intelligence off right, you will get these things right. So the first nonverbal basic is breathing. Now, you might be like, what? Something I do already? Yes, but you're not doing it very well. 
We want to make sure we're breathing low and slow and controlled so that our jury is breathing low and slow and controlled. Why? Because if our jury is breathing, they are receptive to us and we can get more done. If they are not breathing because they are confused, because they're scared, because they're hostages, we have a problem. So breathing, and that's a skill for you. Yes, it helps other people, but it's for you to be able to master. Now, sorry, just getting a drink here. The second thing, the second nonverbal basic, is what we call authoritative and approachable nonverbals. So your authoritative nonverbals, and if you're in the crew, you already know this, your authoritative nonverbals are where the palms are facing down, weight is over both feet, and the voice curls down. This is what, for what you use for when you are sending information, like your opening rule. Employers must provide safety equipment to their employees. Boom, palms down. It sends the message, this is one-way communication, listen up. On the flip side, we have approachable communication. Notice how the weight went over to one side. If you could see my toes, the toes, toes have now flayed out. Palms are up. This is the kind of communication we want to use when we're seeking information. So in voir dire, who here has been in a car crash? Yeah, can you tell me about that? Notice how my body language cues the jury that it's now time for them to speak. But when I'm using authoritative, it's my time to speak. So I'm constantly going back and forth between authoritative and approachable when I am teaching or conducting voir dire. Okay, so teaching and opening, conducting voir dire. These are both presenting types scenarios, okay? So we're talking about the nonverbal basics for teaching. And, and everything really, but, but I'm gonna talk to you about how this is different in storytelling. All right, the third nonverbal basic is what we call pause and gesture. And you might think that's two different things, but it's really not because it's awkward to pause without gesturing. So we teach what we call the frozen hand gesture, which is you can be gesturing, but as long as you are talking, you can be moving, but when the minute you pause, freeze the hands. And don't drop them every time you pause. I'm getting a message, I wanna make sure. Okay, all right, I'll make sure that I'm not, I'm still okay. All right, Christy, that was for me. I can't see it, so maybe try it again. <laughs> if you need to get it, hold on. All right, so pause and gesture, right? So that's another nonverbal basic. Why is that a basic? Because how we gesture commands the room. The pause says, you will wait for me. But the pause is awkward without gestures. The gestures is what holds the room's attention. All right, so the fourth nonverbal basic is look where you point. It's what to do with your eyes. So if I am gesturing over there, I have to take my eyes with me. Why? You will not look over there. People do not follow our eyes, they follow our hands. When you do this, when you say jurors, take a look up here, but you keep looking at the jurors, you confuse them, you cause them not to breathe, and now we're back to this problem. If you say jurors, take a look up here, now you will look there because I'm looking there. So that's also a nonverbal basic. Now here's what I want you to understand about this teaching versus storytelling. This is for teaching. 
presenting, getting information across. Of course, we need reading and storytelling, don't get me wrong. And we're going to be using a lot of these things in storytelling, but we're going to be using them in a different way. Because when we're talking about storytelling, now we, tend, we can throw away some of the rules. For example, we're going to throw away this. Okay? People spend months learning how to get the approachable and authoritative data. And then I say, okay, in storytelling, throw it out. <laughs> so I'll show you why in just a minute. Pause and gesture. We're not going to use that very much in storytelling. I'm going to show you why in just a minute. We definitely are going to use this, and of course we want to always be breathing. But here's what, what I want you to be considering when it comes to storytelling. What you're attempting to do is something totally different. When you're teaching, you're trying to get the message across, the content across, something for them to remember. When you're telling a story, you are trying now to transport the jurors into an alternate reality. And you've got to be nonverbally different. So when we're storytelling, we want to keep the breathing, of course, and if we're gesturing somewhere or off to something, we want to make sure that we're looking at that. But now what we're trying to do is set the scene. Embody the characters. And use good movement and props. Yes, props. So here's the biggest problem that I see when you are storytelling is that you're not actually storytelling. You are telling the <laughs> jurors a story from a presenting standpoint. So you say, so let me tell you what happened here. A man gets in the car and he drives to work. And as he's in the car, he does this. And notice I'm in my authoritative place. I'm not moving. I don't have any different voices. I don't do anything differently. And so, okay. Um, what I want to be really clear on, sorry, I keep saying, hearing a click, making sure it's not me. Um, what I want to be clear on is that you're not presenting when you're storytelling. You are trying to bring the jury into the experience of what happened that day. And to do that, you have to be really careful that you now become the characters. First, you set the scene. So we've got, all right, let me take you back. Now, notice how even my, my nonverbals are different here. I, I'm inviting you into the story. Let me take you back. Now, this isn't a presentation stance. You wouldn't normally stand like this. But I'm like, come along, children. Right now, you have to do something different. But notice how off the bat, I'm doing something different nonverbally. It's January 15th, 2019. And we're in a room about the size of this room. And in this room are a bunch of desks. And at those desks are a bunch of young men and women, some, some older, but most of them are between the age of 20 and 30. Notice how I'm setting the scene. Now also notice how I took my eye contact off of you the minute I started to build the scene. Why? Because I want you to kind of look where I'm looking and start to see that. If I maintain eye contact with you, you won't see the young men and women sitting at these desks. You got, I've got to take you with me. So this, this, this concept of looking where you point also applies to storytelling, yes. But here's what most of you do in storytelling. You're like, there's a, there's a room, and there's groups of people, and they're sitting over here, and you keep looking at me, or the jury, and therefore it doesn't work. You've got to bring them into the story. Set the scene. Have those gestures. 
Now, in this room, why are there people in this room? Now I'm not in the front of the jury because I'm, I'm in narrator mode. Because they're there to learn how to become truck drivers. And so I'm thinking of Eric Penn's case. <laughs> Eric Penn's, what, zillion dollar verdict case that I had my fingerprints on for, for a week or so. But um, he then says in that story, you must see an instructor walking through the room. Now he's going to become the instructor. All right, well, today we're talking about how to manage driving in snow and ice. And there are three things that I want you to keep in mind. Now, notice how my voice changed. I'm actually becoming the instructor. So I'm embodying the character by having the voice change and, and, be, and using different body language. I'm not thinking about authoritative and approachable here. Why? Because I'm becoming the, the person here. I'm not presenting information. I want to bring the jurors into this room, okay? Movement and props. So this is where you get to say, okay, so now we are behind, I got my, my I don't know if you can see it there, my uh, lectern, the 18-wheel. Uh, and the driver, as he's going, so now I'm becoming the driver. I'm using a prop. If you come out and work with us, you know that we smash chairs together. We've got different things that we're doing. Why? All of this is in service to the jury to bring them in. This is why, by the way, I suggest that you not use visuals in your story, in your opening. Not in your opening, in your story. Why? Because the minute you go, and here's a picture of the crash, or here's the... the the um, intersection where this happened. Now, boom, jurors are back in the jury room. I don't want them in the, or not jury room, in the courtroom. I don't want them in the courtroom. I want them in the story. I'm gonna create the mental pictures for them. Now, the only time that you wanna be careful about that is if the actual picture that you'll show later is so much more horrific than you think the mental picture, or vice versa. You wanna kinda of make sure that those are gonna match. That will determine whether where you show the pictures. But the point is, is that now we're not presenting. So if the, 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 the sound was off, I would know that you were storytelling or presenting like this. If you're presenting, it should look like this. Right? That's presenting. I'm using a visual. I'm teaching. That whole thing. But if I should turn the sound off and not storytelling, I would see things like this. Becoming the characters. Now, lots of times when I teach storytelling, I have to talk about storytelling resistance. You don't want to go there. You don't want to do the things. You don't want to do the pretend CPR. You must. Why? It's a gift for jurors. It's not drama for drama's sake. All right, I'm going to head back over here and see. Do we have questions about the difference between storytelling and uh, teaching, either in content or in delivery. This is obviously a very short um, demonstration on the difference, but what questions might you have? And are you doing things so that we can tell that they are different? I mean, this is, this is what it takes. If you watch this and you go, I could never do that, then trial law may not be for you, honestly, because this is what it takes to get the big verdicts. This is what it takes to be vulnerable, to 
lay on the floor. You know, I tell the, the Randy McGinn story all the time about how she laid and writhed around on the floor and then <laughs> the opposing counsel objected and the objection was based on the fact that they could see her underwear and they thought she had planned it. So Randy decides to handle the objection professionally. She tells the story about how she could have said, well, you know, that's not true, Your Honor. I'm not wearing an underwear today, but, you know, as a joke. What does she do right after? Gets right back on the floor and starts writhing again. This is what it takes. This is what it takes when we're talking about how to get the big verdicts. Again, it's not drama for drama's sake. There's got to be a difference. We teach for the context and allowing jurors to, to uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for, uh, judge the conduct. But then once we get to the story, we've got to actually tell the story in a way that is engaging and brings them into the story. All right, let me see some of the comments here. We've got, hello from Dallas, hello. Um, Grant, welcome, thanks so much. Please give us a review if you liked the book. Um, hello to Patrick and Cameron. Sonia, hello, Paul, thank you. Leela, thank you, you're welcome for the glasses. I thought if I don't have hair, then I might as well can have fun glasses. Any questions that anybody has? If you heard me talk about the crew, that is the H2H crew, our paid membership. We only open a couple times a year. We're not gonna open again until October, but we often, I wouldn't say often, we sometimes do a mini opening to those who are just on the wait list. So if you wanna go to fromhostagetohero.com and put yourself on the wait list or just learn about the crew and what that's all about, um, go over and head over there. But help me with my reviews, people. I want to make sure I get to 100 by next Saturday, which is my birthday, trialguides.com. Well, if there's no uh, questions about this, I uh, hope that was helpful. We will be coming out with a course very, um, very shortly. I wouldn't say shortly. In the future. <laughs> Cancer has other plans uh, on the opening template and the, what we're going to be calling it the trial dialogue, how voir dire and opening play off of each other. Uh, Christy, there's also a podcast episode called Teaching Versus Storytelling. If you would drop that in, if people want to listen to that one. Um, give us an example of barely going over the line in, in living the storytelling. Doug or Douglas, I would say, I meaning, like, meaning like you're not really going all in that's basically presenting that's the problem is that I, I if i can't tell that you've switched now from presenting or teaching into storytelling that's barely going over the line that's not going over the line at all it's like you're just delivering new content but this time there's some characters in there and and they're kind of just doing their thing so again that was the example i gave earlier which was all right let me tell you the story that happened in this case so there's a man and he's in a car and he's going to work and he passes another car that's not a story just because it has characters in it is not a story so that would be barely going over the line in my opinion uh good questions are coming in keep bringing you in douglas if i didn't answer that please um repost grant is asking how do you feel about attorneys using a whiteboard or large easel to write out educational story points that always works for me when i make any kind of presentation back and forth between the audience like don't like uh okay so chrissy's gonna post another um podcast episode in here besides the storytelling versus teaching which is um the flip chart one christy christy being my assistant if you were, was wondering who, who this christy person is um 
I love the flip chart. The flip chart is my favorite thing ever. I would take it any day. If they were like, you can have PowerPoint or you can have flip chart, but you can only have one. I take a flip chart any day. Why? Because a flip chart in the moment, it feels so, it's, it's a teacher thing, right? It's like drawing on a, on a board and it's, and it feels very interactive and very in the moment. And it also communicates non-verbally that, you know, your case so well that you could draw it. You could write out the keywords, that whole thing. So what I have done before, now that's norm, notice grant. There's a difference now. I'm, are you asking me during story or during teaching? Love it during teaching. In fact, when you have your rule of threes, I'm like, there are three things all drivers must know. First thing, boom, write it on your flip chart. Second thing, boom, write it on your flip chart. Now, what I have done in story, because I don't love using visuals and stories, even flip charts. However, if you have done some teaching around something that's going to come up in the story, which of course you have, uh, because they should be connected, as you heard me say, then you can come back and silently point. So I, I'll remember, this is more of a voir dire versus story versus teaching versus story. Um, but in voir dire, what we did is we asked jurors, what are all the rules of the road that they learned when they got their driver's license? And so they would, they would told us, they said, well, you know, keep your eyes on the road. And we wrote, keep your eyes on the road. Um, watch out for other cars. Keep a safe distance. And we just wrote all these different things. And so then we said, let me tell you the story of what happened here after our teaching section. And it was about a, a taxi cab driver who was awful and like had all these violations. Every time there was a violation in the story, the attorney would silently pick up the pen, walk over and put a check mark. And some of the things had five or six check marks. By the time we were done, there was like 16 check marks on there. So that is a way of using visuals in a story that we created earlier, either in the teaching or in the voir dire, even better if it's in the voir dire, because it's coming from the jury. And boy, that, that jury would have given us anything we asked. Why? Because they told us the rules of the road. And then by the check marks, we clearly communicated that he violated the, the rules of the road and the taxi cab company did nothing to stop him or take him off the road before somebody got hurt. So that's how I like using it there. I hope that answered your question. Um, Heather, do you worry at all that the defense will stand up and say something to the effect that uh, was a really great scene, but she has no idea what transpired in that room? The trucking instructor did not say that at all, or something like that. Heather, I think you need to be careful. Um, this is why I like. Um, this, <laughs> this is why I like. This is why my clients say, "Oh my gosh, it's so important to do all these things you're telling us to do." Sorry, before even discovery happens, because then you can get in deposition some dialogue. And, and, and get some more things that you can actually end up using in trial if you know what you're looking for. But yes, you have to be careful um, that you're not overdoing it, that it's not something that, it was something that was witnessed either by your plaintiff or by people in the room, that there was dialogue that was actually used or close to it. I think you need to be careful, but I wouldn't say I worry. I just build my, my case um, knowing what I need. Uh, in depositions and otherwise. I scour through things. If I'm working up your case with you, I'm looking through depositions. I'm trying to grab dialogue as we start to create all of those things. But once you know what you're looking for ahead of time, you can normally get it. How do you practice? Joel, well, if you are in the world as a human, you have a ton of opportunities to practice. Um, and now that you're in the crew, you can post a video. So this we, in the crew, we have people do, posting videos. Oh, I gotta do a video assignment for this month. Reminds me. Um, every month, just to get used to seeing yourself on video, that's the number one way to become more nonverbally intelligent is to actually see yourself and see the things that you're doing. So video is great. And I see that Cameron um, says that he is forcing himself to watch himself on video. Excellent, excellent, Cameron. So 
The other things that you can do to practice are just, you know, throw a dinner party. I always say that for voir dire. Practice asking people questions and getting curious. Um, Storytelling, tell your kids, or your grandkids stories, use the different voices. I use tons of voices when I'm reading books to my children. If you don't have kids anymore or grandkids, go and buy some children's books and just practice doing the different voices. That was the one thing I was gonna say that is similar between, or not similar, that we need in both storytelling and teaching, and that is range. We want the different range in our voices and range can be using different pitch, using different volume, using different speed, because that's what keeps jurors engaged. Verbal information is the most difficult information to get across. And so we want to keep people engaged and it takes range. So practicing by using those children's books is a great way to do it. Uh, any other questions? So many of you here this morning, thank you for being here. Again, if you wanna get in the crew, we're not opening formally again until October. The crew, if you go to fromhostagehero.com, it'll tell you all about what the crew is. It's a way to work with me and other trained H2H coaches. Um, we have so much fun over there. We have so much fun over there. Um, but we may do a mini opening just to the wait list um, in June. So if you're like, damn it, I missed it, make sure you're on the wait list. We won't, we won't offer it publicly in June, but we may open to the private list. So you can add yourself over there. Otherwise, now that you're here, ask your questions. Okay, Paul, how do you decide what scenes to pick? I think you have to, you have to get up and work it out. I mean, I think this is the thing. When, when I work with people, we're not sitting behind a desk. We, we are actually up and, I, and we, we pick. We're like, where should we start? That's really the, the big thing, Paul, is make sure that you start somewhere that you have to go back in time. So if this whole thing started in 1960, then start in 1960. You can come up in time real quickly and say, now fast forward 25 years or whatever, um, but start where it starts. If that was where the first wrongdoings happened, then start back then. But I think it's just finding the flow and finding what to, to do and what makes the most sense and, and working with someone, working with your H2H crew members and seeing what, what they like and what they don't like. There's no answer to that. Um, that I can give you here. It's you've got to play with it. And this is the problem. I think y'all just write it out on your laptop and hope it works. No, 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 no. You got to get up, try that shit out, be doing the scenes, playing with it, going, that doesn't work. That's awkward. How do I clearly communicate two lanes of traffic? I remember, Christy, do you remember this when, when I think it was Mark was out here? And we took like an hour at least in the story to figure out how could we clearly communicate four lanes of traffic at the airport and to have it not be confusing to jurors and not have to go to a visual. I mean, we just sat there and worked it out and it was awesome and it ended up being really great. Um, but you have to have the commitment to be that good of a storyteller. I hear so many of you saying, I'm not a good storyteller. Stop that shit. Start telling yourself a different story. I'm a terrific storyteller. And then start doing the things a storyteller does, a good one, which is different voices, different speeds, different volumes. Um, trying things out, rolling on the ground, doing the shit. That's what it takes. You can't just stand back and write your story on your laptop and then read it word for word and go, I'm not a good storyteller. Well, yeah, that, nobody's a good storyteller that way. Your storyteller sh stories shouldn't have notes. You should know that shit inside and out. And that's because you've been practicing it in your living room for a couple months before trial. I don't mean getting it word for word. I mean just having the words in your mouth so you know what you're doing. And in the moment, it's just... The way it comes out is the way it comes out, but you, you know the bones of it. That's what I, I want to see. That's what I want to know. 
Um, okay, Christy put in a link to the podcast that you can subscribe, but you can also go there and give me a review. I know I'm not going to stop talking about it until next Saturday. Help me get 200. I really want to. Um, Leela is saying, the last time I did exactly what you mentioned by using hand signals, watching my hands and all kinds of stuff to tell the story, the defense lawyer started using the same hand motions to tell the story about what happened. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen, especially if you're doing it well, which I know you are, Leela. Awesome. Okay, anything else? Anything else I can be answering? Again, I'm in here once a month. I will be in here one more time in June, and then I'm taking off July and august for my surgery and radiation thank you so many of you for your kind thoughts words um reviews um and i will be back after labor day cameron i think this is where focus groups can be helpful play perspective from each participant in the event maybe even inanimate objects that you animate or third person see what the folk yeah absolutely and it doesn't need to be a formal focus group. Cameron, you're in the crew, but in the crew, people all the, constantly all the time just post, hey, I, can everybody get together for an hour on Sunday? So you can do that here in From Hostage to Hero for free. Just throw it out. Who's willing to get together and hear me tell the story from different points of view and tell me what you like? Yes, actual non-lawyers would be helpful, but don't let that stop you. I see you guys do like, well, I don't have the money. I don't have the Stop it. If you are committed to being an excellent storyteller, do what it takes. Yes, Douglas. Leela moves wonderfully. Okay, my friends. I know right now you're going to head over to Trial Guides or, or iTunes. Give me that review, right? Good seeing you. I'll see you again in June before I take my time off. Thanks again for all of your kind words. And I appreciate it so much. And we will talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to fromhostagetohero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then. 